Will there be a rapture and second coming of Jesus? Hi, this is Reginald Kuakaru. I've had many requests for me to do a video about the second coming of Jesus and the rapture. For you that follow me, you notice my work is about more than just gaining knowledge. It's about spiritual and metaphysical knowledge you can use to improve your life. This video will be no different. I know that it will be enlightening for you. I want to thank all of you who have purchased my courses and are a part of my class. I get to present this work untethered from mainstream systems. Even if YouTube were to shut down my channel today, you have a place to go with like-minded people to keep learning and elevating in this knowledge. I have links to my website, course, and class in the video description below. Go there. Check it out. Your support is appreciated and I'm sincerely grateful. Please like and share this video with all that will find it of benefit and empowerment. Let's get started. One of the major beliefs of Christians is that there will be a rapture and second coming of Jesus, where he will someday claim his people and take them to heaven. It's said that before he establishes his kingdom on earth, Jesus will come for his church, an event commonly referred to as the rapture. At that time, the dead in Christ will be raised and living Christians will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and be with him forever. That's a statement of MoodyBibleCollege.org. So many Christians look at the Bible scriptures in Matthew 24, verse 42 through 44, with fear and dread, where it says, Be on alert, therefore, for you do not know the day on which your Lord is coming. Therefore, you must be ready. For it is at a time when you do not expect him that the Son of Man will come. Also, Matthew 25, verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Those two scriptures amount to no more than mental abuse for millions of believers. Those scriptures create a level of neurosis within Christians that can be debilitating for the most ardent believers and be a constant source of anxiety for others. Why? Because you just never know when Jesus is coming back. So live life on guard and ready. Live in such a way that you will be one of the people claimed on that day. But you never really know if you're living right because sin and evil are lurking around every corner according to Christianity. You could have an impure, sinful thought or do something sinful just before he comes. Because you always fall short, you can ask for forgiveness, sin again, repent, then sin again and repent. It's a never-ending cycle that can get you left behind. I mean, look at the world now. Wars, famine, COVID-19, all are part of the prophecy of Jesus, right? Wrong. We're going to examine the story of Jesus through the ancient comedic paradigm. But first, I need to give you a little documented data that you can research more for yourself if you so choose. One of the main writers of the Gospels was an adopted son of the imperial Roman family, the Flavians. Flavius Josephus is a Jewish historian and the one and only person of that era that supposedly claimed a flesh and blood Jesus existed. Many Bible scholars believe his work passed down was doctored up by Christians. Outside of him, there's no other credible archaeological evidence that a person known as Jesus ever existed. Think about this logically. If a man was creating the miracles of turning water into wine, 
casting out demons, walking on water, raising people from the dead, and even rising from the dead himself, don't you think that would be news to a lot of people? Wouldn't they write about it? That's not an analytical stretch at all. But the truth is, only the commissioned historian for the Flavius family, Flavius Josephus, had his work, Wars of the Jews, used by many Bible scholars to document that a person named Jesus ever existed. His claim has been looked at as fraudulent by many Bible scholars. Josephus was considered a traitor by the Jews, so he was not held in high esteem by them. This is what Bible scholar Bart D. Ehrman writes about Josephus. This testimony of Jesus has long puzzled scholars. Why would Josephus, a devout Jew who never became a Christian, profess faith in Jesus by suggesting that he was something more than a man, calling him the Messiah, rather than merely saying that others thought he was, and claiming that he was raised from the dead in fulfillment of prophecy? No other non-Christian Jewish source written before 130 CE mentions Jesus. Clearly, we cannot learn much about Jesus from non-Christian sources, rather pagan or Jewish. Thus, if we want to know what Jesus actually said during his life, we are therefore compelled to turn to sources produced by his followers. So, no historians in the era of Jesus wrote about him. Not one. The last sentence of his quote is so troubling to me about believers. Bart D. Ehrman is a professed believer. I'll repeat it. Thus, if we want to know what Jesus actually said during his life, we are therefore compelled to turn to the sources produced by his followers. He's basically saying that since there is no proof outside the Bible, then we have to go to the Bible and other believers to prove the source and existence of Jesus. That's like saying since there is no historical evidence that Spider-Man exists, then we must go to the writers and readers of the comics for proof and existence of Spider-Man. It's, well, comical. The very people who have a vested interest in a flesh and blood Jesus are the ones we go to so we can prove Jesus existed. And this type of circular logic is accepted by believers and scholars. Have faith in the book and the book will prove your faith. I've actually read a number of books by Bart D. Ehrman that do document that the Bible is not inerrant as claimed by fundamentalists. They're excellent. But like many Bible scholars and professors at Bible colleges and divinity schools, they will go right up to the edge of the Jesus never existed cliff, look over and decide they're not ready to be crucified or lose that paycheck. The conflict of interest is astounding and they never talk about it. They'll crucify anyone that goes against the accepted narrative and does not claim Jesus never existed. They've done so with the writer of Caesar's Messiah, Joseph Atwill. The whole system is suspect. So again, outside of the Bible, there is no archaeological evidence that Jesus existed. All of the prophecy ascribed to Jesus was the work of writers that backdated the events. In other words, when they wrote the Gospels and the prophecies, the events had already occurred so they could write the stories as if someone was seeing the future. All four Gospels are documented and dated to be written at least 60 years after the supposed death of Jesus. 
So logically speaking, backdating the events is not far-fetched at all. In my last video, I documented why the Catholic Church needed a flesh and blood Jesus. In this video, I will again address the second coming idea from a little known but powerful perspective that can ease anxiety and put you on the path to the truth. I've addressed Jesus mythologically and symbolically in other videos. I will address it here from the perspective of the esoteric or hidden structure of the alphabet. This information has many different layers and angles. These videos can give you a glimpse into the concepts, but understand there is more to them that can be beneficial to helping you live life in a way that is empowering. So is Jesus coming back? Well, let me break it down to you so it will be forever and consistently Baroque. Did you know that the letters we use in our English language had an origin in business and spirituality? In ancient times, most people did not read or write. Those who could were business people, clergy, and monks. All these groups had to communicate their ideas across time and space. Most written alphabet in the world, including our English alphabet, has a common origin with the 22 letters of the Phoenician alphabet. It's through Greek and Latin that our 26 English letters originated. All of the so-called Romance languages of Spanish, French, and Italian share the same heritage. Linguistically, they're all grouped as Indo-European languages. This is important to connect because it appears that the Phoenician language, culture, and writing were strongly influenced by Egypt, which controlled Phoenicia for a long time. As King Rib Adda of Byblos admits in one of his letters to the Pharaoh Akhenaten. So on some level, the writing scripts were developed from the Egyptian hieroglyphs and evolved over the centuries. Through business and trade, Phoenicia spread the alphabet all over the Mediterranean, which included Greece and Rome. What has come to light is that many of the ancient cultures had a deep reverent connection to the cosmic order of the universe. They expressed these ideas through ancient scriptures, mythology, numbers, and rich symbolism. Each of these areas of communicating ideas were all connected in ways that formed layers of knowledge that will communicate not only to your rational mind, but to your intuition as well. Another way to look at it was the ideas connected both hemispheres of the brain that handle information in different ways. Our Greek and Latin-derived English alphabet is part of the ancient heritage and has a little-known esoteric component that has shed light on many Christian biblical names and their underlying concepts. Like the concept of the name Jesus and his supposed return and rapture. For example, the tenth letter of our alphabet, J, is one of the most recent letters added to the English alphabet. But why? Why was the letter J chosen to communicate within our language? It was because this recent letter carried on an ancient tradition of using letters as a symbol to express universal metaphysical concepts. The fact that the letter J is the tenth letter is also important because in ancient times, letters had a numerical value. Those familiar with Kabbalah are already aware of these letter and number connections. This connection is very important in Hebrew letters, which are also a direct descendant of the Phoenician script. The Phoenician script is classified as a Semitic script. This would then also connect our English script to numbers as they are from the same family. 
Ancient Kabbalah teaches the world does not pre-exist language, but the world exists because of it. This is a metaphor, not literal. In other words, sound and vibration created the universe. All in existence is a symbol of a vibrational complex. In ancient Egyptian mythology, Ra stated, I am Ra, I am the eternal, I am the word, I created the word. Christians are familiar with the same idea from the scriptures in John 1.1. It states, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That scripture is esoterically stating a couple of ideas really succinctly, and that vibration was the start of creation, and that vibration is everything in creation, and as vibration, God is everything, the I am. The word in this case is a metaphor for vibration, because what does vocal cords have to do in order to even make a sound? They have to vibrate. But it's also become a metaphor for enlightenment and wise sayings. The words and sounds of the words became a formula of sorts. This is important to understand because theologians have said that this scripture is ancient confirmation that Jesus existed as God in the beginning and is equated to God as the word. In reality, it's wisdom that the ancient Christ is equated to. Theologians have just twisted the idea to fit a corporeal Jesus narrative. On the website of the Bible Moody Institute, they say that all who reject the word of God in the end times will be thrown in a lake of fire. I just addressed the ancient idea of the word in this video briefly. I also have a full video on my channel titled, What was the word of God before the Bible? The word of God is not the Bible. According to Joseph Atwill in his book, Caesar's Messiah, the Roman imperial family, the Flavians, created Christianity and the Bible as a way to subdue the Jews who were in war against the Romans at that time. It's well documented that the Roman Caesars wanted the ancient Egyptians to worship them as gods. A pharaoh was viewed by his people as a representation of the highest form of divinity within mankind. Once Rome conquered Egypt, and all of its provinces, the emperors wanted to be worshipped as they thought the pharaohs were. Christianity teaches that the Bible is inspired by God. Bart Ehrman debunks that idea in his books. In reality, it was crafted as a tool for psychological warfare against Hellenized Jews known as the Gnostics by the Romans themselves. If you're keeping up with my videos, that means that the Romans created Christianity, the Bible, and corporeal Jesus. The whole system of the Catholic Church is based on the Roman traditions and not Jewish. Ask yourself, why the seat of the Christian Church was in Rome and not Israel where it supposedly began? It should make you go, hmm. So, back to the letters and numbers. Our English alphabet is connected to the ancient numerical system as well as via its orthographic lineage. The concept and name of Jesus existed thousands of years before the 10th letter of the English J was invented. Underneath the letters and spelling is an esoteric structure being expressed that the letter J could do more specifically and succinctly. But if you don't know the symbolic and numeric connection to the esoteric concepts, it will completely escape you. Because of the exoteric teachings about the scriptures, 
most have no idea about the underlying esoteric meanings. The name Jesus is, of course, a very prominent name in our modern day Bibles. However, understanding the esoteric structure, etymology, and orthography of the word will connect other names and personages in the Old and New Testament that have very similar esoteric meanings. You'll find that the names may be different on the surface, but the stories and the concepts they're telling you about are being repeated over and over. I'll connect that coming up. The idea and concept that the name Jesus represents began with an eye over 10,000 years beginning in ancient Egypt and its hieroglyphs. The glyphs changed to scripts. The spelling of the name changed a little as it migrated through the different languages and cultures. The letters I, Y, and J all had the same phonetic value that sounded like the Y in the word yes. I note this now as I'm laying a foundation for you to connect later. But no matter how the spelling changed, the concept it represented stayed the same. Many of what we think is characteristics of the man Jesus are actually symbolic representations that were spoken of and written about poetically in ancient times. Specifically, you will see the connection with the ancient meaning and the shape of the letter J. The origin of the name Jesus began in Egypt. It was Yeyusu. Yeyu meant ever coming. And Su meant heir, son, or prince. Let's get to the Latin connection of the letters I and J. Did you ever get exposed to Roman numerals in school? Roman numerals also maintain the idea of numbers and letters being interchangeable. The letter I also represented the number one in Latin. For example, Roman number 13 was written as XIII. However, there came a bit of a confusion between when the I was written to mean a number or a letter. That's because oftentimes a sentence was written as one long string of letters and numbers with no spaces. So how does the J come into play? Now the sound we know as J today didn't exist until a little over 400 years ago. It was the last letter added to the English alphabet only 200 years ago. Why is this important? Because the assumption made by most Christians is that the name Jesus has been around since the beginning of Christianity. But it's not the case. As stated before, the name that became Jesus can be traced all the way back to ancient Egypt and the name Yehu the Sioux. Research will first tell you the name is of Hebrew origin. Remember earlier in the video I told you that I, Y, and J are all interchangeable. Yehu the Sioux became Yeshua in Hebrew. The letters SH are called a mother letter in Hebrew. There is deeper esoteric knowledge connected to SH. The ancient Egyptian mythological figure of Heru, or Horus, had the title Yehu the Sioux. The ancient Egyptian title meant the ever-coming child of eternity. This is where the Greeks got their word Yesus. Egyptian Heru, or Horus, was also known as Iemotep, or the Prince of Peace. Does that title sound familiar when connected to Jesus? It's important to understand that this knowledge and concepts existed many thousands of years before Christianity gave us historical Jesus and the rapture. The concepts were different in ancient Kemet than what we were taught as Christians and the rest of the world about Jesus. 
In ancient comedic science and theology, the Bible story of Jesus is about the journey of a soul that takes human form. When spirit descends from oneness, it wants to return to oneness. It's an urge you feel when you are wrapped in joy and ecstasy. It touches your soul. Too often, Christianity makes you feel guilty for being happy. The eye became a J when the writers wanted the concept of the return of the soul back to oneness to be implied. The letters U and V symbolize the soul coming down to a low point and then returning back to unified oneness. But unlike the letters U and V, which were also interchangeable in ancient times, there was not a full return back yet. That's because the soul was working its way back via human experience. The fact that the curve was from the letter I that first conceptually descended gives another clue to the intent of the creator of the letter J. But the structure and esoteric meaning do not stop at the name Jesus. Many ancient names that begin with the I could have other vowels added to change the pronunciation, but keep the same ancient esoteric Yehu the Sa structure. When the I turn to J in the Bible, the vowels can be interchangeable. Therefore, you have names that begin with J-O and S, or J-O and S-H. As S, F, and S-H became interchangeable because S is only a sharper H and F was more of an ancient Egyptian usage. The S-H expressed a more nuanced esoteric principle in Hebrew. Remember that Y could also be exchanged for I. Therefore, these English names that we know are related to the same esoteric principle of the return of the sun, the heir, and the prince of peace. The important point here is to recognize that there is an esoteric structure and hidden meaning to these names. The Roman god Jupiter, which is J-U, plus the Latin word for father, which is pater, which is also a cognate of Peter. Peter is the rock that Jesus was to build his church or temple. Peter is also a slang word for a penis that can get hard as a rock. If you turn a P 180 degrees clockwise, does it not resemble a male phallus? What did you think those church steeples represented? Just decoration? Nah. The structure of the alphabet and the words we use have esoteric meaning that can give you clues. The Bible personages and scriptures cannot be taken literally and historically. I've repeated that statement in a number of my videos to give you different angles of this rich symbolic heritage of humanity that derived from ancient Africa. I've shown you in other videos the original symbolic and true meaning of the Christ. Again, the meaning is about the journey of the soul from the beginning to its descent into mankind that is matter or mother back to the resurrection via enlightenment of that soul. After a soul descends into matter and is enlightened, it begins its return. There are two paths back. The first is the Christic path where enlightenment happens all at once in one lifetime. The second is the Osirian path in which the soul gains wisdom through a cycle of different lifetimes. 
There is no heaven or hell to be put in for eternity. No one can send you there. You as the seed of the creator is always involving. The eye symbolizes the descent of the father of phallic principle into matter or mother. The J symbolizes the beginning of the return. I say again, this historical Jesus never existed. It was a concept, not a person, thousands of years before the Bible. I'm going to ask you a logical question if you're worried about the rapture. How can there be a return of Jesus if he never existed? Therefore, there will be no rapture. The religious ideas are meant to keep you living in fear to do the bidding of those in power in the churches. They want obedient, non-questioning, faithful followers. If you're not any of those, then guess what happens during the supposed rapture? You get left behind. It's all a control mechanism. I want to say here that I am in no way attempting to hurt Christians or anyone. Many Christians take my work as an attack on Christianity. If opening people's eyes to the truth is an attack, then so be it. But I was once a Christian until the truth was all that mattered to me. Most Christians live with anxiety that Jesus is coming back and hoping they will be saved. I've broken down these ideas over and over in my videos with references for you. Don't let fear keep you boxed into a limited way of thinking and being. Once you become fearless, life becomes limitless. You are limitless as a seed of greatness within the universe. That's what your African ancestors taught. You've forgotten that. That means you're symbolically dead according to the ancient Africans. But the Christ is in you. That seed of divinity can resurrect you starting today. That's what the ancient Africans taught. What I found was the truth of these teachings is so much more powerful than the lie I was taught as Christian. The truth is what I'm giving you access to through what I teach. I'm not saying this is the only way. I'm saying that believing in Jesus is not the way and never will be. The Christian historical Jesus has been a prescription for poverty and destruction of indigenous people worldwide for centuries. My people of the African diaspora suffer waiting on the return of this fictitious savior coming back and setting things straight. Jesus is not coming back to save you. No rapture is going to occur. The ancient Africans would tell you that your salvation is in living a life through becoming enlightened from your human experience. That's the principle of the true Christ before Christianity arrived. Your resurrection is coming out of the valley of the shadow of death, which is living unaware of your soul power while on earth. Anyone that's waiting on a savior is the equivalent to biblical Lazarus. You're dead or unaware. That's not an insult or an attack. It's to make you aware that the power of the Christ to raise you from the dead is part of you, not some man you are to worship and do it for you. Christ is what the ancient Africans gave to humanity, not Jesus, not a savior. I'm prompting anyone that is watching this video and saying it's time to awaken. Quit fighting over the stories and learn how to use the knowledge to improve your life, your communities, and countries. I hope I've given you a little sliver of light out of the darkness of the fear of a rapture. If you're doing the same things you did yesterday, last week, and last year, 
but you desire to be and do more, but have no idea how to change it, then it's time for you to do more than just accumulate knowledge. It's time for you to learn what it's about, apply it, and take action. I can help you acquire that J along your return to the one. Again, I'm grateful for your purchases and donations because they help me keep doing this work untethered from all mainstream systems. So, who's the real Jesus you're hoping to come back? The Roman Emperor Titus Flavius. Thank you for watching. Please like and share this knowledge with anyone that will benefit and be empowered from it. Thank you.